The scripture reading today is from Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the lake. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky grounds where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, and since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, as we come together for this time of sharing, Lord, help us to just be fully present with you. Take our mouths and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our ears and let us hear your voice. And take our hearts and set them afire with love for Christ Jesus, that we truly might be transformed in his name. Amen. So one of the problems I had with my kids getting older is that I no longer have a real excuse to see all of the Disney Pixar movies that come out. I have to say I'm so appreciative of the effort that the company puts into making their movies not only entertaining for children, but also for the parents who inevitably accompany them. I mean, I've sat through Cinderella and Bambi and all the other stuff that my parents had to sit through, and I had it way better as a parent of young children. The truth is that I loved them all. I loved Monsters, Inc. and Up, The Incredibles, and Finding Nemo. But my favorite, hands down, were the Toy Story movies. Now, whether you have young kids or not, you you have to see them. The series tells the story of a collection of toys owned by a little boy named Andy. And when Andy is not around, the toys come to life and have all sorts of wonderful adventures. And I think the reason that I like the movie so much is that never have I seen an animated film so profoundly speak to the human condition. The central character of the story is Woody, a cowboy action figure who finds himself constantly evaluating and re-evaluating his life. He loves Andy, and he loves living a life devoted to bringing Andy joy, but he often finds himself wrestling with his real purpose in life. Andy gets other toys, so what does that mean for Woody's status as Andy's favorite? Andy grows up and eventually goes off to college. And so what does that say about the meaning of Woody's role as one of Andy's toys? What good is it to live for Andy when there are long periods of time in which Andy is absent? In the second of the three movies, this angst comes to a head when Woody, as he's wrestling with the notion of Andy growing up and spending less and less time with his toys, discovers that he is actually an action figure based on a 1950s-era television character, and that he can complete a set of collector's edition toys and live out his days on display in a museum, surely the pinnacle of success for any aging toy. And I think that movie in particular speaks to me because I think it's where we all find ourselves, if not all the time, then certainly a lot of the time. I think it is perhaps the most practical of the buts that we are examining in this series. We believe in God. We really do. But what we really want is happiness. And I say that we very deliberately because I place myself in that category as well. It's where we are. It's how most of us are wired. When you boil life down to its basic components, that's what we want. 
We want to be happy, and our lives become basically a pursuit of happiness. It's what we do. We work harder to advance our career because we're convinced that if we get to that certain point, we will be happy. Or we work hard to make more money, to buy a bigger house, a nicer car, or better toys, because we're convinced that if we, if we marry the right person, if we live in the right neighborhood, if we have the best car, own a boat, go on fabulous vacations, or own the newest gadget, then we finally will be happy. And so it goes. The problem for you and I is that at some point along the way, we went to church. And once we did, everything changed. We come to church and we're surrounded by a message that runs contrary to the things that are supposed to make us happy. Instead of focusing on making our lives better, we're encouraged to concentrate on others. Instead of building up our own nest egg, we're encouraged to give to others, to give to something bigger than we are. And the truth is that it simply runs counter to the way that we're wired. I think that's why some churches out there are finding great success with the with what's called the prosperity gospel. Because their message is that what God really wants is for us to be successful. What God really wants is for us to have the better job and the bigger house and the nicer car and the fabulous vacations and the boats and so on. And so when we work hard to achieve those things, then we're really just serving God. And yet you really don't have to know too much about Scripture to know that that is a perversion of the gospel message, that it radically reverses our role with God's role. That if we believe God wants us to be happy above all else, rather than acknowledging that our role is to serve God, then we wrongly believe that God exists to serve us. God becomes a means to our end. Happiness. To the Christian atheist, the holy God of the universe is quietly transformed into a cosmic soda machine. If we give enough money or pray the right prayer or live the right right way, then God must deliver and do what we ask. God is the one who exists to bring us Earth's ultimate reward of uninterrupted happiness. And so we're left with this dilemma. We know that we exist to serve God, not the other way around. And yet we don't really want to. It's not what we want deep down. And so too often church, religion, becomes a place and a voice that constantly tells us something that we don't want to hear and really may not even believe. And so we believe in God, but what we really want is happiness. I think that's the dilemma that we bring with us when we sit down and we wrestle with this familiar parable, the one that Jennifer shared with us a few moments ago. It's a familiar story, in fact, so familiar that I suspect it has lost much of its impact throughout history. The parable comes in the, in the midst of a lengthy teaching. Jesus has taught, healed the servant of, of a Roman centurion, even raised the dead son of a widow in the town of Nain. And finally, he taught a tough lesson on love and forgiveness in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Then abruptly, he changes gears and he tells those who are traveling with him a parable. It's a story of a farmer who goes out one morning with a bag full of seed. He begins spreading the seed in a, in a not too deliberately fashion. In fact, it's kind of a, kind of a willy-nilly fashion that he, that he scatters the seed, not really paying any attention to where it falls. Some falls on the path and is quickly eaten by birds. Some of the seed falls on rocky soil and quickly grows, but because the soil isn't very deep, the roots remain shallow and the plants are quickly burned by the hot sun. Other seeds fall amid the thorns and although they begin to grow, they're quickly choked out. But some of the seeds fall on good soil, 
and their roots grow deep, and they produce a bountiful harvest, ten times, in fact, the normal harvest. And we know how to interpret this parable, right? The path represents those who hear the word of God, but do not really absorb it or believe it. The rocky soil represents those who hear the word and believe it, but abandon it at the first sign of trouble. The thorns represent those lives that are overrun by the wants and desires of the culture, desires that eventually choke out God's dreams. And the good soil, of course, represents those lives which welcome the word of God, that cultivate it and allow God to work. Which frankly puts us right back where we started. We struggle because Jesus wants us to be the good soil, the fertile heart that welcomes the word of God, that cultivates it and allows God to work. But the reality is that we struggle with it all because our soil really is pretty thorny. It really is overrun by the wants and the desires of our culture, desires that eventually choke out God's dream. And honestly, a few months ago when I came up with this series, that was the message I was prepared to preach to you today. You have to get your soil right, folks. You need to choose. Do you want to be thorny soil or do you want to be good soil? And all of you in one form or another would answer, we want to be good soil, Lee. And we would all feel good about our decisions. And more than likely, nothing would change. And so it made me wonder, what does my traditional interpretation miss? What am I not seeing when I read this familiar story? And it finally occurred to me, what if this parable isn't about each of you? What if it's not about me? What if it's about us? You know, I'm not much of a gardener, but a few years back I decided to replant some grass in our front yard. We had a very large live oak tree that kept most of the front yard in shade. And over the years, a combination of the leaves and the acorns that the tree had dropped in the, in the constant shade had choked out much of the grass. In fact, there were huge spots of the yard where there was, where it was no more than hard packed dirt. My neighbor wanted to do some grass as well, and so we went in together on a pallet of sod. But even I knew that we couldn't just drop the sod on the hard packed dirt and expect it to take. And so we rented a tiller. And we turned over all the soil in the front yard. And into that soil, I worked fertilizer and some manure to provide a good base on which to lay the sod. In fact, I spent a lot more time preparing the soil than I actually did laying the grass. But when I did lay the grass, that which I had prepared allowed it to flourish. And so I wonder, what if this parable is about the importance about the importance of soil isn't about you and me, but rather about us, about the church. What if in the end it's the church's job to prepare the soil? What if we were able to admit that left to our own devices, we have a pretty hard time preparing the soil of our own lives, that by ourselves we will quickly fall into the trap of a thorny culture that tells us that it's all about us, that our happiness is tantamount. And if we could just attain that which is currently just outside our grasp, then we would finally find happiness. But what if this were the place that prepared the soil? What if this were the place that turned over the hard-packed soil of our lives, that worked into that soil the life-giving gospel of Christ, that kindled the nurturing power of God to enrich our lives? What if this were a place 
that we came to learn about true happiness. That true happiness doesn't come by achieving the next thing that you don't have, because there will always be a next thing that is just out of reach. But rather, that happiness comes when we become part of something that is bigger than we are, larger than our own lives, something more holy than our own wants and desires. But you know, I think the the cool thing is that we don't have to wonder what if. Because I think, I believe that's what we do here. I think that's who we are together. I think one of the reasons that we long to get back into the church is because when we come together, something holy happens. Together we invite God to till the soil of our lives. And we do things like mission trips and mobile food pantries and vacation Bible school, not because the community needs another event or we need something else on our calendars, not because it gives the church a high profile, but because when this community comes together in the midst of all the fun and frivolity, something altogether holy happens. And people out there come to know God a little better simply because they get to know us. And that's what we do here. And if you want to know why I count, why I look at how many are tuning into online worship and why I will count each week when we can worship in person together again, that's why. Not because I'm worried about someone may think if the numbers aren't where they need to be, but because what we do here together is important. It matters. You being in worship, whether in person or virtual, it matters. Because together we till the soil of faith. We allow ourselves to be transformed, perhaps slowly sometimes, but transformed nonetheless. You know, I started out talking about how much I love the Toy Story movies from Pixar. And you know, at the end of that second movie, Toy Story 2, Woody walks away from happiness. He turns his back on the opportunity to complete a collector set of toys, turns his back on the, the pinnacle of success, and he goes home to Andy. And the interesting thing is that he does it not to be a martyr, not because he wants to suffer, but because he finally realizes what really makes him happy, what really brings him joy. It is to live out the role for which he was created. He's a toy. And he was created not to stand in a display case, but to ignite the imagination of a child. You want to be happy? So do I. And what we do here, my friends, is to remind each other what that really means. It means to live out the lives for which we were created. To fulfill the dreams of a God who dreams far bigger than any of us. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, for this familiar story, for those familiar words, Lord, we, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for a, another glimpse into who we are and what you call us to be. And Lord, Lord, we long for nothing more than to live out your dreams for us. In Jesus' name, amen.